Theurgy episode six. Uh, my name is Dan Rasnowski. I'm Joe Schaefer. And today we are back with Sulfur. Uh, last week we took a little break. We didn't uh, we didn't record a podcast or do anything you know related to this whatsoever. We took a little bit of a break, uh, kind of just to. Um, for one, well, Joe, you said you wanted to finish the Hermetic Tradition. Yeah, I just wanted to finish that book up, and at the moment, I'm in the middle, like, doing, especially, like, for the, this podcast, I'm in the middle of, like, or just constantly going through, like, three to five alchemy books or Hermetic yeah, books. Yeah, a lot to read. And it's just, like, heavy, dense stuff, and I just really needed a break, and I like to read other things in general, too. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I wanted, I, we, I, it was just getting heavy, and then, yeah, because we're going to do Sulfur today. Mercury will do next, and both of them are much bigger. So it just took a lot of time to like really get the notes down. Joe wanted to finish. I, th- I worked, so it was just you know it took a little break. <coughs> yeah, get everything, to, yeah, get everything together. So um, that being said, uh, sulfur today. Yeah, uh, Joe, if you want to start us off, sure. Yes, yeah, what we decided is I'll just go through kind of the hermetic alchemical sulfur and then we'll give it to dan to just run through the occult side and more like practical material aspect of it whereas i'll talk about like the symbolism and stuff now i just do want to note sulfur and mercury they 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 overlap a lot they're related a lot and you kind and there's a lot written about both of them and you kind of just have to pick a stopping point like we could this could be like a two-hour episode you know but we got to keep in mind like these earlier episodes we're just trying to explain the symbolism and kind of just give you an idea of what it means so that when you read an alchemical text you kind of have an understanding of the language and stuff like that. So I mean, later on we could always mind. we could always just jump. We could like do a two-hour episode, like way later. Like you know, if we want, there to will be some topics, sulfur, you yeah. know, or something like that. And be like, okay, yeah. here's what it's really about, you know. So right. So yeah. anyway, basically, yeah, in alchemy, there's lots to be said about sulfur, and at times it can be confusing. Uh, there's a lot overlapping, kind of hard to understand exactly what they mean by sulfur, and it changes from writer to writer and stuff like that, as you would expect. So, for example, sometimes it's hard to tell if it's its own thing or if it's basically gold or if it's gold's gold or something inside of gold or below gold or etc. So, for example, uh, Khalid ibn Yazid, a medieval Arabic alchemist from the mid to late 7th century, writes that when the alchemist has changed his compound to white and added the spirit that it will grow of the color of sulfur or cinnabar, which is very red, and, quote, the philosophers have likened it to gold. So there's a bunch of overlapping right there with the color symbolism, and then it's basically gold, but it's, I mean, is it gold? And then there's the tie-in with spirit, which I'll also get into towards the end. Before you go on, mm-hmm. um, the you said 7th century Arabic alchemist? Yeah. He talks about the sulfur, you said? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I have here, uh, as one of the first mentions of sulfur as a base alchemical element, comes from an Arab writer named Jabir. Uh, I have quotes from him, too. Jab- okay. Jabir ibn Hayyan. Okay. Yeah, so or, or Gaber, Gaber, the Latinized. Westernized. Yeah. yeah, okay. And then there's also pseudo-Gaber. We've, <laughs> we've talked about that before. So there's there's Jabir ibn Hayyan, who is an Arabic, you know, alchemical hermetic writer, mm. author, or whatever, and... Then that was Latinized into Gaber, and then there's another author that people think is not the same, but wrote under the name of Gaber, of so they call oh, him okay. Pseudo Gaber. Same thing, to... I think, is with Democritus. There's Pseudo Democritus too. Oh, okay. I just wanted to make sure that I, because you said seventh century, and I have eighth century, and I was like, whoa, who talked about it first? You know? Yeah, I mean, I just want to. I could get I into like the Arabic aspect, but 
I think we might just be going down a wormhole because, like, maybe it's, like, what it was actually called. Because I think I think in Arabic, you, you do say a sulfur, mm-hmm. which also kind of is, people, like I said, or cinnabar. So who knows, like, what they're calling, like, the first mention of sulfur in the alchemy. You know what I mean? Oh, so it could have been cinnabar in the 7th century and then sulfur could have... Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah or, you know, sense. that type of stuff. I don't know. Well, continue. Sure. But, uh, so some more just, like where it gets a little confusing where there's so many mentions of different types and stuff um marcelin bertolot notes that white sulfur is lead after treatment and he also gives a definition of sulfur as copper after treatment he also notes that white sulfur is the sublimate i'm sorry a white sulfur specifically is the sublimated vapor of mercury and it's also as we just i just said mercury so it's very difficult to talk about sulfur without talking about mercury and its relation but nevertheless i'll try to focus as much on sulfur as as possible until it's like unavoidable so yeah right next i have uh, jabber ibn hayan writes that quote he who in preparation knows how to co-mix and unite sulfur amicably with bodies knows one of the greatest secrets of nature and one and uh, the way of perfection. And in an alchemical work called De Pharmaco Catholico, uh, which we've cited before in an episode, maybe a couple, we read, quote, Those who know how to and can indeed gather the metallic sulfur as their soul or igneous character through that magical philosophical fire have indeed attained glory in this world. So we're kind of seeing like just the importance bestowed upon sulfur. <clears throat> now, um, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say uh, that just reminded me about what you said a few minutes ago about how um, sulfur sometimes I have here, sulfur sometimes portrayed as the sun, portrayed as the sun, which is gold. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's exactly so what I'm saying. It's funny that it just keeps coming up that like, you know, a lot of the times you're like, no, it's up here, but then sometimes it's gold. But, and again, going but back to how I, I do have some stuff that I think will kind of uh, clarify. We'll see. A, we'll see more links that okay. kind of explains that difference. Okay. I think. Sure. Um, I think that should come through, especially based off if you've listened to our earlier episodes. Like that's where I think we're doing a very logical progression to where you can kind of, if you've absorbed some of the other symbols and language, yeah, you, you understand what's going on. I just so. thought it was weird because when I was doing research, I was like, it, they portrayed as the sun, and I'm like, but you that's know what I mean? Like, it gets confusing. On, yeah, tell me. Well, that that goes into sometimes what they you'll read that like alchemical texts are intentionally, uh, you um, know, uh, hard to understand or obfuscated. Obfuscated, yes. Ah. Um, which is also something that I've read is what demons do is they mm-hmm. obfuscate. So I can't wait to do a big two hour long episode on demons, on demons yeah, yeah. which we will. Um, so cool. yeah, moving on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Jabra Ibn Hayyan also points out something else that one notices readily when looking into alchemical sulfur. He writes, quote, yet let no man think that sulfur can by itself complete the work of alchemy. So that just is going to point out it's very important, but Need some else. It's always connected to stuff, which mm-hmm. brings me to its relationship with salt, which we've gone over, and mercury. So we'll do mercury next, like we said. The relationship between sulfur and mercury is very important in alchemy, as well as the relationship between salt, sulfur, and mercury. Isaac Newton, even, for example, writes in his commentary on the Emerald Tablet, quote, The things that follow are most true. Inferior and superior, fixed and volatile, sulfur and quicksilver have a similar nature and are one thing, like man and wife. So, masculine, feminine. Definitely have that. I have, Shiva, uh, Shakti, all that crap. Sulfur, masculine, hot and dry. And then, of course, later, mercury, 
feminine, cool, and moist. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Newton goes on, uh, for they differ one from another only by the degree of digestion and maturity. Sulfur is mature quicksilver, and quicksilver is immature sulfur, and on account of this affinity, they unite like male and female, and they act on each other, unquote. <clears throat> Let me sip something real quick. Getting a raspy throat. <clears> throat> um, in De Farmaco Catholico, which, by the way, just means the universal medicine, we read, quote, The elements that constitute the, the metals are their three primordial matrices, mercury, sulfur, and salt, which are like opposites in constant tension and struggle. So just like male-female. Mercury, as an aerial spirit, is hostile to salt, representing the earth, which we've gone over. The warm sulfur as fire is the enemy of water, and thus is too hostile to mercury's humidity. Mercury, in virtue of being the water of metals, represents two elements, air and water, unquote. There's also a footnote as well that mentions the salt earth corresponding to the body and is, quote, a product of the interference and mutual neutralizing of the two fundamental opposing forces, the lunar mercury that represents the soul of things and the current of waters as a fluidic force, against which sulfur is the active principle of the individual being, which, like its own body, has fixed and organized a certain quantity of cosmic energy. Uh, this is also briefly mentioned by Permed- Pernetti in his uh, Hermetical uh, Dictionary. So, yeah, um, tying in the active masculine soul or all that's coming back together, and then like yeah. the salt with the body and the earth. I have here that, uh, well, it's said that sulfur and salt is um, like the parent or the, uh, well... Mm, yeah, the parent of Mercury. Uh, Mercury. Of what? I don't know. <laughs> I <laughs> just... Well, here, okay. Uh, sulfur and yeah, blah, blah, blah. Sulfur and salt combined or uh, is like the parent of all... Me- oh, what the hell? There, There is something I see uh, uh, in Oswald Wirth's book that I always cite. He does have like a sort of a Venn diagram of circles... One for salt, uh, mercury, and sulfur, or another. I can get into that in a little bit too, which I do have down. And based on the interplay between them, it can give different like temperaments. Well, I was just getting, stuff like that. That that I was going to talk about, but you just did. So I couldn't read my writing. Oh, okay. So what it is is um, uh, not always, but in some views, sulfur and salt are the parents of mercury. Okay. Like, and then. Um, Mercury, well, we're talking about Mercury, but that's for next episode. But it's but hard you to can't talk avoid about. It, like I, I know. Said, so know. I was going to say here, this is what I was reading. I was all over the place. I apologize. Sulfur and Mercury are considered the parents of all metals. So again, they're holding it to this really high standard, even though it's right. not the highest up sometimes. Sometimes it's gold. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, like we always say, too, when we actually get into the act, that kind of stuff will, or the art, that kind of stuff will come through, too. So. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't want to just go too far down the sulfur rabbit hole, but that's kind of the gist of it, and I'll get more into just now the symbolism of sulfur. Um, Pernetti writes that, quote, the philosophers have given to the sulfur an infinity of names, which befit all that which is male. It definitely has infinity in the symbol. It is their gold, um, not actually gold, but gold in its power. 
So again, see, like, related, but not exactly it. In the Hermetic tradition, Ephelo refers to sulfur as an active principle and as the masculine sulfur. So call it, just calling it masculine. Mm. Which in turn would relate it to its masculine solar principle, and I would think that there is also a relation symbolically to niter, like we talked about, because niter was the active. Um... He also says that sulfur, quote, contains the phoenix bird within itself, so fire. It concerns the primordial fires of the first inextinguishable, ubiquitous, superpersonal powers of animation and individuation. These traits are seen in the ideogram for sulfur, which is the cross, like we talked about before. Uh, and on the, what would be the north, you know, so the one pointing up, there's the symbol for the element of fire. So it's a triangle with a cross right below it. Right below it, yep. Evola writes, quote, The symbol for sulfur gives us the condition of a fire, the triangle, in domination over the, the elements, which is the cross, unquote. He also points out that the symbol for sulfur should not be confused with uh, sulfur in a pure or native state, which was symbolized by the Aries symbol in the beginnings of alchemy, which is the symbol for quote, the masculine principle of every generation and direct manifestation of the power of gold, unquote. So yeah, Aries just kind of looks like, uh, almost like uh, ovaries, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, Oswald Wirth corroborates most of this as well as points out that um, sulfur, he calls sulfur the realizing fire, which is imprisoned in the core of each being. So again, it's all in you. Well, yeah, you I have, have everything uh, in you. Sulfur is—it's uh, spiritually analogous with the human soul. Okay, I have something different, but that's like the, probably just the alchemical divergence, which I have. Um, yeah, well, he goes over the relation and tension between sulfur and mercury, and that they're always balancing, like kind of echoing what Newton says. Mm-hmm. As he also mentions the that tripartite relationship between salt, sulfur, and mercury. Uh, that they they play with each other and you need each one for to do things. He also notes that sulfur is related to the spirit, whereas mercury is related to the soul, and salt um, is related to the body. Hmm. Something. If, although you know what, let me just grab a book real quick. Let me just make sure I got that right because it didn't sound right when I read it, and it because like you just went over, you said something. So he's got a chart in here. Well, here's the thing. The wording's interesting because it says it's spiritually analogous. I did, well, it, see, that's things too. And we're going to have to one day, one of our future episodes, which I've noted we should get into soon, the next handful, is that whole soul, body, spirit. Yeah, because the spirit is That gets very confusing when you first start reading this stuff because mm-hmm. also during like the alchemical separation, I believe that you're supposed to try to free mercury, which is representative of the spirit i remember reading from saturn's grasp basically but then here like i say sulfur represents the spirit according to worth salt the body and mercury the soul but we have to also provide definitions in our future episode of what is the soul what is the spirit what is the body yeah because so that's what i'm saying though these texts like sometimes they contradict each other like blatantly and sometimes someone will use a symbol for one thing and then use it as a completely inverted symbol like invert that meaning within the same text so yeah because uh it 
It says it's... Because it doesn't say it's just analogous with the human soul. It says it's spiritually analogous, which means something completely different. Well, this is like what we touched on before is part of why it's interesting to get into this is to sort of um, understand the ancients, you know, and and we got to be careful that we're not just imposing our, you know, what these words mean to us today on them. Yeah, we have to Which is kind of like the goal of this, which is why we're going over like all these, what sulfur means, you know, in the ancient alchemical hermetic text Text, and occultism you know so exactly well that basically wraps it up for my end so we can toss it to you to go over like we said the occult side yeah uh it's pretty short it's not uh it's not too in-depth uh we talked about sulfur and what it is sometimes it's called the symbol is called leviathan's cross um and the symbol for it is the uh, infinity sign, so just infinity. Okay. Uh, and then there is a north uh, pointing line, uh, and then there is a line. There's a, a longer line, and then above that line is a shorter line. So it's kind of like uh, a T, a lowercase T, but then with a longer line underneath. Does that make sense? It's very hard to describe these. <laughs> I try it again. I was spacing out for a second because okay. I was thinking I just read something like that in another book that I might run and grab. So uh, imagine the infinity sign. Yes, okay. And then within the infinity sign where both point, both lines intersect right in the middle of the infinity sign, there's yes. one line going straight up. Oh, and, okay. And then within that line going straight up, there's two intersections. One at the top, not all the way at the top, slightly below the top mm-hmm. that's shorter, and then underneath that, a longer one. Okay. So you can almost imagine like a uh, like a like a satellite antenna, like an antenna, mm-hmm. okay. kind of reminiscent of it with the infinity sign. But uh, that's not important. Well, it is. <laughs> but me trying to describe it, it, you you get it. I'm sure. Yeah. You can even look it up if anyone's curious. Uh, but it is sometimes called sulfur, sometimes called brimstone, okay. which is more of uh, that's when you start to get into the occult. Um, Let's see here. Brimstone is often associated with hell, and you know, you know, you hear about like you know, lakes of fire and brimstone, preaching well, fire and brimstone. Exactly. That's just uh, it's basically fire and sulfur, um, which goes into uh, you know, sort of a demonic um, area. But before I jump into that, uh, it has been used. The symbol has been used as a sign of Satanism. But that's like an extremely modern thing from the 1960s, and it was used by uh, Anton LaVey oh, yeah. as a symbol. He adopted it as a symbol of Satanism because there's no, like, if you look back at historical texts from, like, you know, long time ago, and I'm talking before modern times, of course, mm-hmm. uh, there is no mention of sulfur being, like, a symbol of Satanism. It definitely is associated with, you know, hell and everything, but that doesn't right. mean that the symbol itself is, uh, you know, like Satanism. And I think some people get confused as because you think like, well, it's in hell, you know, hell, what? But it's not like a, a Satanist symbol, which confused me. But well, in alchemy too, it's also connected with the color red. Well, yeah, and then you have your red devils and stuff, so, you know, like just like that cultural image. But it's not associated. But, of course, this goes back to, like, modern times and making it that. So I'm sure when some people see the symbol, they're like, oh, that's a Satanist symbol. It's like, well, no. Mm -hmm. You know? 
Um, let's see here. So, yeah, uh, the emblem isn't, you know, there's no historical connection to Satanism outside of LaVey's adoption. But then going into the whole demon thing, uh, when people have a demonic presence in their house, uh, which there isn't a literal demon, you know, with wings and stuff, that's a totally modern, it's, it's always a spiritual dark energy. They notice a strong odor, which is sulfur. Now, this isn't present with, you know, poltergeists or spirits of, you know, like human spirits or anything like that. It's okay. always demonic. Uh, and that's how, um, I think that's how people associated hell with, uh, sulfur or what, because when people have these demonic, uh, possessions or hauntings, they always smell sulfur, a strong odor, and people start to, uh, make that synonymous with hell. Yeah, okay. So, you know, because there's, uh, historical texts that are, that have been documented long time ago, and I'm talking back, you know, Salem witch trials, stuff like that, that time period of strong smells that that person has never noticed before, and then that was always uh, present with a demon. So I think they started to associate, they realized that maybe spirits use this sulfur, because if you look up sulfur, uh, there's a lot of actual spiritual connections with this element. Um, Let's see here. Yeah, I mean that's really it. Okay. Yeah, it's it's very short and it's kind of confusing. Well, yeah, there's been a lot of overlap in this episode where you feel like you're contradicting yourself, and yeah. well, they're probably like this thing is like there are contradictions in there, but it's you, you got to just I don't know roll with it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean to sum it up, sulfur in the occult it is a real um, physical thing with a real physical. Uh, effect on you know reality like you can smell it and it's always associated with a demon it's always associated with you know hell uh you know brimstone and that that's really it i mean it's very black and white it's very simple straightforward there's not like you know, it's not like symbolic of anything yeah. it's not like you use sulfur in a ritual which i'm sure you could somewhere but it's always just a a thing associated with a demonic spirit and that's really it all right so yeah. so yeah, that's it for sulfur. But like I said, I mean, especially on the alchemical side, you could go on for a long time, and you know you have to pick a stopping point. And also because you get into just like I said, you can't talk about just sulfur for too long. At least from what I know, we have to really start getting into its relationship with mercury. Um, so our next episode will be mercury, which there's actually I I constantly am coming up with, against not against, but seeing mercury referred to all the time um, in alchemical stuff. It's just like probably, if you did like a control find in a PDF, if you could, of like old alchemy texts, like you probably get huge amounts of mentions of it. They're always talking about mercury. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to talk about, well, I wanted to write certain things down and keep other things out, but every time I tried to write something down with a sentence and like, you know, that had sulfur in it, mercury was always in there and i'm like well i can't just leave out the mercury because then i just it sounds stupid i'm like well sulfur is a uh, element yeah well so basically you you got you got sulfur and mercury which is kind of like sun and moon masculine feminine um they need each other they pull against each they pull from each other yet push towards each other you know tension male female which i probably just said um fire and water so, yeah. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely uh, connect all of those next episode. So it won't well, and that's too, like, again, like, yeah, the Hellfire, well, fire is sulfur, and mm-hmm. the active, you know, and then, yeah, Mercury more connected with water. So, yeah, we will get into Mercury next, so. Yeah, so uh, with that being said, next episode is Mercury. Uh, thank you for tuning in again. I'm Dan Rasinowski. I'm Joseph Schaefer. And uh, thank you. Take care.